When I was your age, I was just like you And just look at me now, I'm sure you do But your grandfather was just as bad And you should have heard him trash his dad Life's no picnic, that's a given My mom's mom died when my mom was seven My mom's father was a tragic guy But he was so distant that nobody knows why Now your mother's family you know them Each and every one a gem Each and every one a gem When I was your age I was a mess On a bad day I still am I guess I think I know what you're going through Everything changes but nothing is new And I know that I'm miserable Can't you see I just want you to be just like me Boys grow up to be grown men and then men change back into boys again. Hi everybody, welcome to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and my guest host today, Joe Shaw from the Press News Group. Hi Joe, how are, how are you? you doing, Bridget? I'm great. Thanks We're, for having me. Oh, I love I love having you as a co-host. We always have a really good time. And uh, Alec is at his daughter's graduation this weekend, so congratulations. Congratulations, to congratulations Maya. And our guest today is going to be Loudon Wainwright, who the third, who is well known here and everywhere for his uh, humor, singing, songwriting, uh, acting. story, acting, storytelling, and now the subject of a Netflix film. This is so impressive. I'm like seriously intimidated. Directed by Christopher Guest and produced by Judd Apatow, and we're going to talk all about that. But first of all, how are you? I'm. Quite well, actually, yes. Yeah. I really enjoyed, I, I watched the, the Netflix special last night and really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was, it's, uh, it's very, it's a unique, I, I love the presentation and, and how it, you know, it's multimedia to some degree. And uh, I just love the mix of your uh, father's words and, and your words and songs. Uh, it just fits together perfectly. Seems like a perfect topic to, to talk about. Uh, with Mr. Wainwright, uh, right between Mother's Day and Father's Day. I was too. thinking that too. It's yeah. you, we're pretty much equidistant between the two holidays, and I, I actually, you know, these days, my mother and father are both gone. Oh. Um, and so and so are my wife. My wife. We we have no mothers or fathers, and, and we have, have no children. children. Right. Uh, we've been married for 28 years this summer. But no kids, so it's kind of a weird vacuum of a holiday season for us. You know, it. Uh, it's. Can it's, I ask you, like, what was your relationship with your yeah, father I, like? Because well, yeah, I mean, because I think Loudon's, that's a big part of what we're going to talk Loudon's about. Loudon's sure. show, Surviving Twin, is about how sons are sort of the surviving twin of their yeah. fathers. It's an, it's if you know, watching the show and 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 talking about looking forward to your children and backwards to your father. It's fascinating to me because my father died when I was three. And so I didn't have that presence in my life. And the only thing I really had was sort of very faint memories. And I had three faint memories of my father. Uh, one was watching the uh, moon landing with him wow. in my little footy pajamas <laughs> on the floor when he was sitting in the chair. And I remember that. Um, I remember the day he died because only because as a three-year-old it was so unusual to have everybody at our house on a weekday that I knew something was happening and so it it registered with my three-year-old mind that this was a big deal but I didn't know what it was until much later and then my favorite memory of all is um, there is some alcohol in my family um, we see I, I, I'm, I'm in I'm a consider myself in recovery yeah, from well, alcoholism but I broke the mold it we, doesn't run in my family and it's it, we I think that that I'm not sure that that my family tilted towards alcoholism but there was alcohol in my family let's just leave it at that and uh, my father one of my one of my earliest memories is I learned to read really young and my father took me to the local bar which uh, my uncle Ralph was at so much, I thought it was his house. So <laughs> he called it Pittsburgh? Uncle Ralph's house. This yeah. is Pittsburgh. Okay. Going in Pittsburgh. So he went to Uncle Ralph's house, and my, I remember my father standing me on the bar and having me read beer bottles as a sort of a, wow. par, a parlor trick that oh I was able God. to do that. So that's amazing. That's, that's really, but it's, it's interesting to me that I have just 
so little, so much of the, the conversation that you have in the presentation in the Netflix show is about sort of dealing with father issues. And I never got to that point with my father. So it, it was, it's, it's, a, it's just a weird vacuum for me that way. Well, my dad died uh, when I was like 37 or 38 and he was 65 and it was like way too soon. And, uh, but we were really, we were close, but it was complicated. I mean, as the oldest child from the first marriage and, you know, all of that. But of course, I, from my dad's side, I can trace, I mean, I can't trace back that far, but, you know, my dad, Warner Leroy, and then my grandfather, Mervyn Leroy. I mean, so there's books about them and there's movies I can watch. Uh, very similar to Loudon being able to read all the, you know, the view from here from his father. You know, the, there's so much. And then the Warner Brothers, you know, my great, great, my great grandfather, Harry Warner, started Warner Brothers. So there's so much information out there that I can feel uh, attached, but I miss my daddy. Yeah. You know, it's different. No, there's it's there's there's different. tracing the history and there's missing the feeling of his cashmere sweater on my face, you know, and, and his smell and, and his words of wisdom. And that's just something that I'll never get back. And I do have kids. And um, sometimes I feel like the best parent in the world and sometimes I feel like the worst, you know. And I do have, you know, I have a, a daughter who's Georgia Warner, who Joe's paper just did a story about because she's on Broadway right now. And then I have... Joel, who's my trans son, who's in Ghana with the Peace Corps, and then Bing, who's joining AmeriCorps, and they're they're all good kids, but mm -hmm. you know none of them are any are in relationships or anything. So I'm like, oh, did I really screw them up? <laughs> did I do something really bad? But you know, Joe, we're gonna um, bring Loudon on and and talk about uh, Surviving Twin, about his book, and about his upcoming date at Guild Hall as part of G.E. Smith's Portraits. Uh, first, we're going to take a little break. We're coming to you from L W Market uh, on Main Street in Bridgehampton, which has grab-and-go food and dry goods and all kinds of delicious yummies. And you're listening to us here on WPPB 88.3 FM, Long Island's only NPR station. You can also stream us online at 883wppb.org. And we'll be right back after this. Last week I attended a family affair And a few remarked upon my recent growth of facial hair You look just like your father did with that beard someone said I answered back I am him even though my old man's dead I didn't want to be him Well at first I did When I loved and looked up to him as a little kid he sent me to his old school, I was a numeral with his name And he gave me this gold signet ring and he wore one just the same And I guess that I believed him and probably it was true When he told me I was just like him, that's what some fathers do But a father's always older and my dad was rather tall who says size doesn't matter He was big and I was small Welcome back. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and my guest host, Joe Shaw from 27 East and Press News Group. How are you? I'm good. Good. We're going to bring... Well, I, sorry, I, I just want to say yeah. the, the other thing about my father that I should talk about is that I love this story that he was chased out of Johnstown, basically. It's a small town near Johnstown by the Black Hand. You're he was a barber. And, oh, apparent, really? and apparently he had run up some debts with the mob and they chased him out of town. But you're he Irish. Got a black, he got, I got a black hand uh, in the mail, which was... Are uh, you serious? And apparently my mom, my mom died a couple of years ago at 92. And my brothers and I searched through everything because she insisted that we still have that black hand somewhere. And I really <laughs> wanted to find that and frame it, but we haven't found oh, it yet. Oh, no. So. Well, we're going to bring... <laughs> We're going to bring Loudon on. Hi, Loudon. How are you? Hello. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. Loudon Wainwright. Uh, we were talking during the break, and we wanted to talk about how did uh, about what Surviving Twin is, how you conceptualized it, right. and why you did it. Well, uh, I call Surviving Twin a posthumous collaboration. My father, uh, Loudon Wainwright Jr., uh, was, a, was a columnist and a writer and an, e and an editor for Life magazine during the 60s and 70s and 80s. And um, his, his column was called The View From Here, which many it's people read famous. when I w was growing up. I, you know, I was the son of the famous Life Magazine columnist. 
he and I, you know, we didn't, we weren't, we weren't close. Uh, you know, there was elements of Oedipal competition, and uh, and uh, he was just, you know, busy and traveling all the time. So we, I didn't see him a lot, uh, or as enough. Let's put it that right. way. But um, he died in 1988, and and then uh, about. Eight years ago, I reread all of his columns. This over what, what started well, that I, out? What started it out was I was uh, doing a show. You know, I'm a singer-songwriter, so I was traveling and uh, playing up in Maine, and I was staying in a kind of cabin. And in the living room was it was a old-fashioned rocking chair and a, a wooden magazine rack with old Life magazines in it. Wow! So I pulled out one. I remember Trisha Nixon was on the cover. It was from 1971. And I thought, well, maybe one of my dad's columns is in here. And sure enough, one of the uh, columns was in there. Not only that, but my favorite of his columns. Which was what? Which which was this column called Another Sort of Love Story, which is this column about having to put our dog down. Which you read at the end of Surviving Twin, and not read, you memorized all of them. Yeah, I I perform it, basically. You perform it, of course. But reading that, and I hadn't read it in, you know, 30 30 years or something. Uh, It just, I was, it was so funny and moving, and that I, I started to think about the idea of having this posthumous collaboration. So... What I, what I did was I devised a show, an 80-minute theater show, that takes my father's writing, which I perform in the show, um, from that column and other columns, and then I kind of mix and combine it with some of my songs. And uh, I've done it in London and a few times in New York, um, L.A. And uh, one of my oldest friends... There's a guy, you mentioned him, Christopher Guest. I met Chris in 1971 or something. So you know Poojie? Oh, I do, I do. I did know Poojie, yeah. yes. That's his mother, Jean. Uh, but, but Chris uh, uh, and I have been pretty good buddies. I was doing it in L.A., uh, the show, Surviving Twin, and Chris came along and, and liked it a great deal and said this uh, should be captured if you will or filmed he didn't want to change any of it he didn't uh, he, he just thought that it should be photographed well and uh, Chris along with uh, Judd Apatow who who was a, the producer who I've worked with on a couple of other things they made this thing happen and it was actually it was recorded a year ago Yesterday, you're kidding. I saw May 24th. May 24th. I saw Bob that Dylan's at birthday. some point on the, on the the performance and wondered yeah. if that was a coincidence. Yeah, we filmed it in a in a beautiful that? old uh, Spanish uh, theater in North Hollywood, and because Chris and Judd, you know, are big deals in that world, we had the best. You know, the guy who did the sound, who put my little headphone in, had just won the Oscar that year. <laughs> For Dunkirk, you know. Oh my God! We had five cameras. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because they they really did that very well. There's yeah. been other ones where you can kind of see the other yeah, cameras. Yeah, I was curious about the the genesis. Whether you had it sort of whole cloth at the point, and and you answered the question that that Chris Christopher Guest saw this, and and um, I think clearly must have had a very light touch. In, yeah. in how he filmed it because that answers my question it feels so personal that I wondered if it was a complete project when he came to, to, to begin directing it yeah I yeah. mean I, I had been doing it for, for a couple of years but uh, but he made sure that it, it looked good and sounded good and uh, you know was captured if you will and was it all, did he add anything like you at one point early on you, you don your father's suit yeah. Which is kind of very nice poignant suit, and way. also like a little weird. Too. <laughs> Beautiful weird suit, though. Yeah, it's the actual suit. It was made in 1965. It's a three-piece suit uh, that was made in um, Savile Row in London. Um, that that's always been in the show. Yeah. That the name of the column that I do with that is called "Disguising the Man." Right. 
That is a wonderful one. I absolutely adored that you performing that piece about the tailor yeah. and that that was just great. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's a description of the show. It came out on Netflix, I guess, in November, I think, or something like that. And it's available for people who want to see it now. But um, it, it was a pleasure to work with Chris and Judd and, and, and get it captured. It must be really satisfying to have, to have put together a presentation like that and then have other professionals step in and take it to a new level in a new medium and, and really show it to a whole new audience. Um, but I have a feeling seeing it live, as people have a chance to, to do, um, must be just... Well, you know. I do it live occasionally. I did it a couple of uh, weeks ago in New York at a beautiful old uh, venue called the Sony Theater, which used to be the, the Golden Horseshoe. Oh, wow. Uh, a legendary nightclub in Times Square that Billy Rose owned. Billy Rose was my grandfather for three days. Oh, my God. <laughs> he, married my, he married my grandmother, Doris Warner. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but... I have a story or two. You two drink you, your beverages. You and, do. You, uh, you have connections to everything. He it's married my, my grandmother, Doris Warner, um, after she married Mervyn Leroy and Charles Vidor. And they got into an argument on their way back from the wedding about whether her children would be included in his will since, you know, ATT or ITT, whatever is. He, he, he was sort of a billionaire of the day. And he said, absolutely not. Your children will not be included, and they were they like flew to Reno within like forty eight <laughs> hours of that, and there That's you it. go. But I do have a picture of him holding me because when I was born, so that was that was nice. So, sorry, continue as you were. <laughs> that was uh, the the thing that struck me about the entire uh, theme of the show is that it's it's about parents and kids, warts and all. It's it's not a, it's not a uh, it's not a whitewashed view um it's not overly uh sentimental, emotional right. sentimental it's it's about the good and the bad and and i i found that just fascinating I, and and that's I, I mean i think it was it felt very real in your family that yeah. you had real issues with your dad and my father it's the show starts the first the first actual thing i do of my father's is uh his dad loudon wainwright the first died when my when my father was only 17. So he had no time to work out any of the crap. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Yeah, I remember what you actually said. Yeah. You know, um, and, and so his father was a kind of ghost figure for him. And uh, I, I come out in the show and I play the song Surviving Twin. But I, come, I walk out on stage and I do the first of these monologues, you know, which is my father talking about his father. He says, if I remain still, if I am alone and silent long enough to hear the sound of my own blood or breathing or digestion above the rustling of leaves and the whir of the refrigerator, my father is likely to turn up. He just arrives, unbidden, in the long-running film of my thoughts, like Hitchcock in his pictures, and he looks for all these 40-plus years of disembodiment, much like himself, Big and sandy-haired with freckles on the backs of his hands, perhaps a bit more diffident in the way he holds himself than I remember. He doesn't stay long, and as far as I can tell, his visits have no message. Yet even though years of therapy have led me to make the dark, whistling claim he's finally dead and gone, my father, who died when I was 17, continues to be my principal ghost a lifelong eminence grease, and only my own end will finish it. And that's the first wow. performed uh, thing of, I do of my dad's. But as, and he as, had a way with words. Yeah, I mean, you're talking to two like journalist editors here, and yeah. it's so beautiful. It was effortless. He really seemed like he had an, uh, you know, certain columnists just have a way of, of presenting things that are just so effortlessly poetic. And he really seemed to have that. Yeah. No, he was very good. And part of the fun is of doing the show is to to turn people on to his work. I mean, older people, you know, people in their 60s and 70s, or 50s maybe, might have remembered those columns. But uh, he died in 1988. Right. So um, it's a gas to uh, to share the work. Uh, you know, as I say, it's it's a way of. 
us doing something together, even though he's been dead for more than 25 and years. And the obvious question is, did you find this to be like cathartic in some way that you were able to deal uh, with some ghosts? Yeah, I, I, it's a beautiful thing to do it. I mean, I, I mentioned, you know, we didn't have a great relationship. We're closer now than we ever were. <laughs> That's wonderful. And um, uh, yeah, it's, I love doing it. I want to ask you, you got my attention very early on in the special because one of the first things you talk about is something that your father said uh, that is something that I'm told that my father said, which is always one of my favorite stories. Uh, we had a priest visit, and I, apparently um, the priest talked to my father about everlasting life. And his answer was, I believe that you attain immortality through your children. And I think that's something your father said as well. Or was it your father's father said to your father? Um, but it was a message right. that, that is in your show. And I find that, it, do you think there's truth to that? I mean, this show is sort of about that. It's about um, connecting fathers to, to children and, and across the years. And it, it's sort of about keeping your dad alive. One of the one of the uh, lines in, in at the end of one of the uh, one of the spoken parts is uh, it's a description my dad wrote about seeing home movies that my father had made in the nineteen that his father see there's always a wow. confusion of which Loudon is which right but it doesn't really matter because we're all the same guy that's another <laughs> point of the show you know I am we are our parents to a degree and our grandparents. Uh, genetically and, and other ways too but at any rate there's, there is a piece in the show where my, my dad talks about this this uh, film uh, these home movies that his, his dad made and I won't do the piece but the last the ending of it is uh, even if we're late we can still reach out for fathers and find good moments for ourselves and what they left behind and that, to me, is the um, is the is the, that sentence describes what the show is. And you could insert the word mothers too. Right. We can reach. We can find our parents again, even after they've gone. Uh, in a home movie, or I was lucky to to be able to have this writing that my father did, and I wrote songs about my father, which are in the show. So. Um, the ancestors, you know, the power yeah. of, of the ancestors, it's... It's, uh, it's, it's it's astonishing to me when I meet someone who doesn't know their family history. I mean, not because they're adopted, I mean because they just haven't done the the history. They haven't... I, I mm -hmm. had a friend up in New Hampshire who had a very interesting last name, and I said, oh, that's very interesting. Where do your people come from, so to speak? And she was like, I don't know. And I was like, well, you mean you don't know what your last name means? Like, I know so much about right. my family, and it's so important. I was able to, um, when, I came, when I moved back here from New Hampshire, I wrote a piece about my dad for the star, for, the, for Relay, called I Remember Warner. And, um, and that I found cathartic, and it was only one piece, you know. But I, I remember ending it with, uh, you know, when my dad was alive, people always described him as being larger than life. You know, he was, he was very large, and he always wore these crazy suits. And... And uh, Damon Runyon said, you know, you can keep your things of bronze and stone, just give me one man to remember me once a year. And, uh, and at the end, I think I said something like, uh, which proves that my dad's even larger than larger than life, he's larger than death. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I've, uh, you know, and he's still with me all the time. I mean, I hear, I hear a song and I can break up. He was a really incredible person, and, and your father as well. I mean, just an incredible, and his, again, the, the poetic nature of his journalism that just poured out from his heart, whether good, bad, or, or how it made you feel. And your ability to resurrect him yes. through those words by the way you present them in the show really is amazing. We're going to take a little break, okay, and, and we're going to come back, talk about your relationship to the East End of Long Island. You're listening to... Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and, and Joe Shaw. You can say your name. <laughs> Alex Hocklow is away this week. We're talking with our incredible guest, Loudon Wainwright, who's actually going to be at Guild Hall. Uh, is the date June 28th? Yeah. With, uh, is that what it is? Yeah, with Wesley Stace. Okay. Uh, and we're going to be right back. You're, we're coming to you from L&W Market in Bridgehampton. You're listening to us on 88.3 WPPB FM, Long Island's only NPR station. We'll be right back.
Bob Dylan, I wrote you a song. Today's your birthday, if I'm not wrong. If I'm not mistaken, you're 50 today. How are you doing, Bob? What do you say? Well, it must have been about 62. I heard you on record and you were brand new. And some had some doubts about the way you sang, but the truth came through and loudly it rang. We're back Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Joe Shaw, who's my guest co-host today, and we're talking with Loudon Wainwright about his Netflix movie, Surviving Twin, directed by Christopher Guest and produced by Judd Apatow, which is quite a lineup. And uh, we were just getting into talking about your relationship with East Hampton, which goes back pretty far. Yeah, there's uh, lots of Wainwrights and Stuyvesants and... uh uh, the, the, they're the rich group of the family. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Loudons, the Loudon Snowdens are not. <laughs> well, uh, my dad. We grew up in. I grew up in Westchester, in a nice town, Bedford Village, which is you know, uh, it's pretty pretty posh, also. But uh, my dad was a journalist, and he didn't he didn't really he he struggled, and uh, whereas uh, some of my uh, some of his first cousins were investment bankers and big game hunters and <laughs> real estate mavens and uh and all lovely people right. and a lot of them are um, in east hampton or wainscott and and i mentioned the the graveyard over there this uh, my father's there my grandfather's there my grandmother's there stivy wainwright is next door right along with his dog flash is buried. Is dog is buried there too? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Cool. And uh, actually, that is a funny story in Surviving Twin about when you named Rufus and who was it? Was it your grandmother? My grandmother said, Rufus, that's a dog's name. It's <laughs> <laughs> the same thing. I was named after a family friend. I have no Irish in me whatsoever. I'm a pizza bagel, like 100%. And my great grandmother, Ray Warner, Bridget, well, that sounds like an Irish maid. So, <laughs> anyway, but. Um, yeah. You, so you, was there a family house? I mean, it, it, did it? Was there a house that was passed down for generations? Uh, just a couple. You know, uh, um, uh, there is a place in Rye called the Wainwright House. It's an old family. Well, Stuyvesant. I mean, Peter Stuyvesant. Right. We're all related to the one-legged governor, Peter Stuyvesant. Who right. Was a son of a bitch, apparently. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> There's a great fictionalized history uh, about old New York. I can't remember what it's called, but I think it's called New Amsterdam or city of something. And the first scene is Peter Stuyvesant having like kidney stone or bladder stones removed by like refusing anything, like standing there while someone cuts him open, Ooh. cuts open his, his taint. Can I say taint on the air? And, uh, <laughs> and just standing there. And whether it's true or not, it made him see, you know, it showed his he hard was quite a guy, nature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you come from, I mean, ancestry has always been something in your blood. I well, mean, my fa- you know, my, my mother was born in rural white trash South Georgia. So, you know, uh, a, a, a funkier part of the world. And she was a, a yoga teacher? Among other things, she was a yoga teacher. My parents met when they were in the Marine Corps uh, um, and fell in love and, and it started to have some kids. But my she was a yoga teacher long before yoga teacher was cool. Yeah, she was doing <laughs> yeah. yoga in the 60s and wow. stuff. I guess that's when yoga, an onslaught of yoga came in the 60s, mm-hmm. certainly. And, uh, and when, she, when she died, you, it really, that, that was much more powerful emotionally uh, for you. Yeah, my, I was extremely close to my mother, whereas my father and I were not close. So, uh, I mean, when, any, when either parent dies, it's a pretty powerful event. But when my mom died in 1997, I kind of fell apart. Tell us a little bit about this book. Well, this is a book uh, that came out in two years ago, in 2017. Liner notes, Loudon Wainwright III on parents and children, exes and excess, death and decay, and a few of my other favorite things. <laughs> Can I get that on a t-shirt? Because that's, that's a long yeah, title, but yeah. it's great. Half of it on the front, the other half on the back. <laughs> Anyway, I never thought I would write a book. I mean, I've written lots of songs. And I have written some liner notes to an album. But uh, some people at Random House asked me if I would write a book. So I did. This, uh, the topic is really very much on your mind these days about the intergenerational intergener- and, and fathers and sons and daughters and it's mothers. Uh, and I've always been, you know, a lot of my songs have been about family. 
it's it's my main kind of waterfront that I cover. I mean, I have novelty songs and dead skunk, right? And Had to uh, say it. Political songs, uh, you know. I've written a couple of songs about Donald Trump, but uh, pro or con? <laughs> really, you have to oh, ask Joe. You have to find out. <laughs> you have to go and listen to find out. Uh, but a, a lot of a lot of the songs are personal and have to do with. My parents, my grandparents, my my kids certainly, uh, my relationships, disastrous and otherwise, and so I write about a lot of that in the book too. Well, I was going to say, well, what is the reaction? What has your kids' reaction been to the recent stuff about like Surviving Twin, about your dad and your grandfather and this book? Well, I. I, I I mean, you'd have to ask them, but they're all—they're very polite about all this stuff with me. <laughs> Great, Dad. That's terrific. Uh, you know, I mean, my book at least is not any kind of a tell-all or slash and burn expose. No, it's, and my life on the was is also not this amazing, weird, special thing. It's, I was a guy that grew up in Westchester and started to write songs and had a couple of bad marriages. <laughs> and, and wrote songs about it. I mean, that's about as dramatic as it gets. But I write about all that. I'm curious when you talk about the dysfunction in the songs and, and, and all of that, um, is that something that, that your kids have expressed concerns about or they're totally fine with just sort of letting it all hang out? Because they've certainly been willing well, to talk about that. Well, they're extremely successful, too. And, I mean, and well, I have three three kids that are singer songwriters. Mm-hmm. There's right. Rufus, of course, and Martha, his sister, and then my daughter Lucy Wainwright Roach is also a wonderful songwriter, writer, and they all, you know, uh, Lucy not maybe is 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 not as autobiographical as Rufus and Martha and I, but yeah, we we write about what happened, and, and everybody's just sort of okay with that. It's it's an. Uh, they're okay with it, you know, and if they're not okay with it, they're not okay with it. I mean... My kids don't even let me post pictures of them on Facebook. (laughs) They're like, take it down, Mom. Everybody gets to do what they want to do, and if if somebody else doesn't uh, like it, uh, somebody once said, what other people think of me is none of my business. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that a few times. Well, now, and we talked about, so your dad, uh, amazing with words, you're amazing with words, your kids singer-songwriters amazing with words so I'm curious is it genes is it something that was in the upbringing that you had and that you continued with your kids what is it that breeds that kind of uh, literary uh, do you think it's just genes well in in terms of the the fact that we're the three of the kids are musicians you know Rufus and Martha's mom was Kate McGarrigal. Mm-hmm. She's no longer with her. Great songwriter, right. great musician, mm-hmm. great singer. Uh, Lucy, my daughter Lucy's mom, is Suzy Roach. Right, the Roach sisters. Uh, from the Roaches. Mm-hmm. So, again, genetically, the music thing was stacked. Now, I have another daughter who's uh, 26, whose name is uh, Alexandra uh, Kelly, uh, with a different mom. But she is a really, really gifted writer and, uh, you know, doesn't do songs and singing, but can write wonderful. But then you wonder if it's like nature or nurture, you know what I mean? That's what I'm asking, I guess, because, well. because your kids are not, um, they're all great musicians, don't get me wrong, but it's about the words to a large degree. And it feels like that's something in your family that's, that's just survived generation to generation to generation. And I'm wondering if, uh, was your, I assume your house was a very literary house. And uh, I assume. Well, your dad you know, was on the dad, road a lot. I mean, my dad, there were, there, there were a lot of books there. and we, we weren't made to read or anything. We, 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 you know, I was sent to a pretty good school mm-hmm. where I was made to read. <laughs> so, you know, I read a bit. And how about your kids? Well, uh, Rufus went to a boarding school called Millbrook. Didn't you go? You no, go I went there? to another school. I went to a school called St. Andrews. But he wrote a fa- song about, he wrote a song about, I'm sorry. I didn't he did write a song right. about Millbrook. Anyway, um, I'm off track, but I don't, I don't know. The writing thing. Or I'm just wondering. It, it is. I'm wondering if it's nature or nurture. What What do you think? I don't know. I think it's probably nature in this case because it doesn't sound like you were nurtured that much by your father. So it was just maybe it does pass down. I mean, showmanship well, certainly it, runs it, in my I family. I knew that my father know? thought that good writing was important. Right. 
and of course you want to please your parents yeah so. um yeah I, I brought this out just to show you because this was my mother's first book so she's a children's book writer so her first, my mom's first book was called bridget oh but no pressure no <laughs> pressure well and my picture's on the back book jacket I was 10 <laughs> and the first sentence is Bridget loved David Stone the only problem was David did not love Bridget back which set up or, again nature or what came first the chicken or the egg was I already um, falling in crush with boys who were going to ignore me or did it happen because my mom wrote that first sentence don't know but that's what ended up happening so we all have our mother daughter father son father daughter mother son relationships and they all are interesting and fraught with with uh, drama and and your father's piece about that and he talked about how his father sort of was a ghostly appearance from time to time do you experience that with your dad um well you know i was uh, my dad was 17 when his father died when my dad died in 1988 i was 42 or, or something so, so we, we'd had a real life, uh, I wouldn't say together, but we, kn we knew each other for over a long period of time. I wasn't searching for him, I think, the way that he was searching for his father. Interesting. I, I have a question, though. Outside of the family, have other people come up to you and say that they've gotten some, you know, kind of closure or, or you know, something deep and poignant from either Surviving Twin or your book? I mean, about these familial relationships and their, you know, their power uh, over us. I'm happy to say that, yeah, every once in a while someone comes up and says, boy, that song about your dad or the song you wrote about your sister or uh, that crappy marriage that you had. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, that happens and that's a great moment because that's kind of why it's I about got connection, into the business. right? Yeah. It's about connecting to your audience. And, right. you know, because what I'm singing about in my life, again, as I said, it, my life wasn't particularly bizarre or strange but and I'm singing about a lot of stuff that, that happens to other people right well I think that's a good place to take a break we're going to come back and talk with Loudon Wainwright about his upcoming show at Guild Hall of East Hampton G.E. Smith's Portraits you're going to be there on June 28th and it's actually speaking of familial relationships it is such an interesting lineup at Guild Hall because it's almost all next-gen performers because Rufus is also going to be performing um, later with Amy Helm who's Levon's daughter they've got um, you know, Tommy Emanuel who's performing they've got uh, the Allman Betts band I mean everybody is like the child of someone who's a performer don't steal my idea because I'm writing that one <laughs> uh, anyway you're listening to Bridget Leroy with my guest host Joe Shaw on Sundays on the East End you're listening to us on 88.3 WPPB you can also stream us online at 88.3 WPPB.org Long Island's only NPR station we are listener supported so please if you feel like it or even if you don't feel like it, support us and make a donation. We're coming to you from L&W Market in Bridgehampton with Loudon Wainwright. We'll be right back. Mother liked a white wine when she was alive. She was desperate to live, but her limit was five. Carefully I'd kiss her. Send her off to bed We always stuck with white wine We stayed away from red Always stick with white wine Stay away from mother Liked a white wine She'd have a glass or two Almost every single night After her day was through Sancerre, Chardonnay, Chablis, Pinot Grigio Just to take the edge off just to get the glow You got to take the edge off if you wanna get the We're back Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy, my guest host Joe Shaw, and we're talking with Loudon Wainwright and Joe, you were quite chatty during the break. What uh <laughs> I just noticed Be chatty now. <laughs> I just noticed he's wearing the signet ring that uh, he talks about in the performance last night, which was something I wanted to see observed this morning. Yeah, it's, uh, a, it's a ring. Uh, my dad had one. It's, it's the Wainwright family crest, which is a, a, a lion with an axe. With an a yeah, he's got a machete or something. Yeah, uh, Lions don't have axes. 
Well, our <laughs> <That> hatchet. <laughs> well, lions don't have I like to think of an, an axe because that's also a word for a, a guitar. Oh, that's He's carrying his axe. That's oh, oh, oh yo, hey, bravo! And he's sticking out his say? tongue. Which is which, something that is I there a motto do. on that crest? <laughs> there is, and it's uh, a space and deo, or uh, it's, it's a signet ring, so it's backwards. But it's uh, truth <laughs> in God, I think. Or, yeah, okay. Or uh, I don't know what the hell's going. <laughs> <in Latin. laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't know. Where did I park my car? Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Check, please. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. And what, what, there was another thing we were talking about during the break. We were talking about Christopher Guest oh, and, yeah, yeah. and yeah. how you must be thrilled with how it turned out. Because I, what, I'm, what I'm always amazed with is I, I think it was I had read one of the reviews uh, and they mentioned that it was a surprise at the end to see that it was Christopher Guest who directed because he, he doesn't come that's not at the beginning of the performance well, that's you also get, kind of like not his wheelhouse yeah, I mean exactly. it's not I but mean, it's, it's your is, stage but. and he clearly left the stage to you yeah um, and he got out of the way it seems like and you must be very happy with the way it turned out I am he did a wonderful job and yeah. the, his intention was just he liked the show when he saw it and he just wanted to capture it and how did you get in with the Judd Apatow crowd in, to begin with because I think of them no offense being like kind of like young Below, yeah. below us in yeah. terms of age. Well, um, uh, the whole kind when of Seth Judd, group. When Judd was 14 or 13, living in Sayas at Long Island, he saw me performing on the David Letterman show, the first incarnation of the David Letterman show, which was in the morning or the afternoon. It was not a night. It wasn't night. a nighttime show. Uh, and the initial format was I was. Uh, the musical guest for the first week. I was on every week, every every morning or afternoon. Right. And Judd was a teenager, and in those days I was animated. And <laughs> you still are. You uh, still got it. Had loud. a big red beard, and and uh, and was singing kind of crazy songs, and 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 Judd really liked them. So then years, and then he started to come in and see me play at the Bottom Line in New York, and then. You know, in, in the early 2000s, I got in touch, somebody got in touch with me from his office. I, I had no idea who he was. At that point, he had done Larry Sanders' show and Freaks and Geeks. Great show. Which I had never seen. So I didn't know who Judd Apatow was. And uh, somebody said, somebody from his office said, we're doing a, a, a show called Undeclared. Another great and uh, uh, Judd was wondering if you would audition for the part of the dysfunctional father of the main character. <laughs> Here so we go it again. was a real stretch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I got the job, and and then you know I, I Judd's put me in a couple of his movies. I'm in the Forty Year Old Virgin and right. Knocked Up, and uh, I've written some uh, music for some of his other shows, and he produced. Uh, uh, surviving twin. So Judd's totally been in my corner for a long, long time. That is so cool. Yeah. Isn't this amazing? You never know the repercussions you're going to have, or like someone who who sees you when if they're you a live kid to and be then they come up. Enough, it, you know, turns out that young people who later become powerful, <laughs> yeah, resurface and give you a break. Yeah, that's kind of what happened with Judd. Well, but your appeal has staying power, though, too. I mean, it's been several generations. I, I remember you from when I was a kid in the 70s and your work. And I think it's interesting that every new generation it seems to appeal to because it does have sort of a timeless appeal quality, you know. People love to, to hear songs yeah, about it's, dysfunction. It's, 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 tell you? Dysfunction but, but never goes out of style. It's honesty that is just so, you know, um, my wife was shocked Dana. that you dropped Dana. your Dana Let's drop her name. that you dropped your pants on stage to put the suit on and I said I feel How like about those boxer shorts uh, those were pretty <laughs> awesome actually yeah uh, but that's kind of you you don't really hold back and I really respect that and I think that's what's so appealing is uh, people, you're always you people can <laughs> can can smell the BS and it's nice to, to have somebody who's who's performing from the heart but also unfiltered just Here's everything, you know. We're gonna just talk about the reality of, of how it really is, and it's just refreshing for a change. I think that's why it's it seems to resonate um, with every generation since since you started performing. Which was when? When did you start performing? Uh, 
about 50 years ago, I started to get paid. I think I did my first show in 1968. Wow. At Brand, I, opened, I played at the Student Union at Brandeis University and got $50. So I've been doing it for 50 years. And I, you know, I, I go around. Um, I mean, I'm, we're doing the thing with GE at the Guild Hall. That's on June 28th. Right. And then later in the summer, I'm going to do the Stephen Talk House over in Amagansett. You've been doing that for a long time. Many times. I've done, uh, I did, I've celebrated my, my 70th birthday there uh, a few years ago, and my 50th, actually. Wow. Peter Honerkamp is one of my good buddies. Sure. But I just, I'm still traveling around with a guitar and playing in clubs and occasionally bigger venues and uh, uh, letting people have a look at my boxer shorts. Do you, do you, do you love it as much as you used to? I love uh, the work, you know, the, the the performing and the shows. I hate everything else, the traveling, yeah. <laughs> the f- airplanes. See, the that's the stuff I, l- I would love. Yeah. I love that part. I you don't like the don't have to love do it, it if you yeah. had to do that's it. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to do it, so it's exciting. That got boring around 1980. Yeah. Uh, now, tell me about your relationship with GE and Taylor, because Taylor Barton's been pr- is producing this series for, I think, the second time at Guildhall. And it's a really amazing lineup. I mean, you, you're kicking it off with uh, Wesley Stace on June 28th, but Dawes is a part of it, which is sold out. I mean, a lot of them are really sold out already. Tommy Manuel and Amy Helm, the uh, Almond Betts Band. It's really um, an incredible lineup. But tell me about uh, what you're, I mean, you're not going to be doing a, a one-man show because no, GE is going to no, be there. No, I may, I may do a, a monologue or two, a short one. Basically, I'm going to play songs, and GE is going to accompany me on a lot of it. He's such an incredible yeah, musician. I don't know if we're going to get any rehearsal time in, but um, I first met him when he was married to Gilda Radner. Wow, so that's that's a long a time long ago. Time when he ago. had get this a crew cut, he had he had what? no hair. It was no, cut. yeah. So he wasn't he the had a he buzz wasn't cut. so he wasn't like the band lead, like the SNL. No, no, no. This is band. before this. Yeah, this was in the in. The, um, like 1977, 78. You were one of the very first musical guests on SNL. I was SNL. in the first season. I was in the fourth show. Who was the host? Do you remember? Robert Klein. And, wow. the, and the, in those days, there were other musical guests. There the were? Other musical guest, there, were, there were two musical guests. Okay. The other musical guests, no one knew who they were. It was ABBA. Oh, no kidding. They had just won the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> Which I watched in England. They, they sang Waterloo. Yeah? Yeah. Well, they were the other act. Oh, my God. And they lip sank, which no one has oh, is that right? ever done on Saturday Night Live since. You know what I really enjoy? You just said lip sank. And that's going to be a thing now. <laughs> right. That's going to be the past, the past tense. It's past yeah, thickness of sink is sank. I sunk. Limp sunk. Makes perfect sense. That makes sense to me, too. Um, we've been speaking with our guests. It's been... Uh, Really amazing, Loudon Wainwright the third. We wanted to go back and talk about Surviving Twin, which is what we opened with. Um, such a powerful work about fathers and sons and family in general, and your father being just such an incredible journalist with two journalists here who, you know, two editors who are just massively impressed with his writing and always have been. Uh, and it was just so amazing to me. Also, coming from a theater background, you'd think I, I wouldn't find it this amazing, but that you memorized you know, that you do these kind of performances of, of pieces that were made to be read, not spoken. Mm-hmm. And yet you speak them so beautifully and so powerfully. And uh, you were going to do one more for us. Yeah, well, they're, well, they're very well written. And that's what I realized when I reread them, that, that, that they could be performed. I'm going to do a piece of my dad's last column. In 1985, he was diagnosed with colon cancer and then uh, after a three-year intense battle, uh, it got him, and he died in December of, uh, of 1988, which is, as it turns out, was also the same month and year that his last column uh, in Life magazine appeared in the magazine. The name of the column was Mad About Maps, and here's part of that column. Maps are just excuses for the journeys they set us on. I remember one glorious summer in Maine years ago. I used to wake up at 3 or 4 in the morning, have coffee, make a couple of sandwiches for me and my wife, and just set off. There was no great plan. I had it roughly in mind to follow every little road leading down to the sea from Deer Isle northeast a couple of hundred miles to 
Campobello, where Maine turns into Canada. Map in hand, I would cover that huge piece of terrain, and it was even better than I hoped. We saw hundreds of little communities we might just have sped past otherwise. East Machias, Jonesport, Beals Island, and each somehow developed its own character as we approached in this way. One amazing morning, we drove down a little dirt road until the fog was so thick we simply couldn't go any further. We sat silent for perhaps half an hour in that gray dampness. Then suddenly the fog lifted and we found ourselves in the shining little port of Cutler. We could never have seen it under such exquisite circumstances. To appreciate it the way we did, we had to fail first to see it in the fog. My connection with maps is a little distant these days. As much as I'd like to plan for some good coastal trips, I'm not really up for them. The possibility of other trips more engulfing intrudes and I am unsettled by possible destinations. As much as I'd like to think I'm ready for anything, I'm not really ready to accept all possibilities. I'm not ready to see where all the roads come to an end. But the old trips still give pleasure. I feel joy at the bright sunshine in Cutler, and I know it as well as if I saw it this morning. I have to tell you, I have read a lot of columns in my career, and I've read a lot of really good columns, and I've read some not-so-good columns. And that column really struck me because it was interesting to me when you introduced it that it was one of that that it was his final column and that it was about maps and i thought well how interesting that he was writing about sort of a, a subject that really had nothing to do with his illness and but his ability to bring it around to that right. without forcing that is something that just people that writers can't do well very often and for him to end his career with that uh, is really an exclamation point at, at the end of an of a amazing career. Yeah. And I thought you really did it justice. Uh, and you just did again. Well, I, I didn't mention this, but, you know, in addition to <laughs> Surviving Twin and the, the GE show and the Talk House in August, in liner notes, the book, I've printed five or six of my co father's columns. So the dog column is in the book. The suit column is in the book. And Mad About Maps is also in the book. So, because so I buy just... buy the book. Buy the book, for God's sake. For God's sake. Do you have t-shirts or anything? <laughs> I don't what, have that. What, with the title Hats on it? Or, yeah, <laughs> I want you know. one. But uh, people can enjoy, uh, you know... I mean, my writing is okay, but my dad's writing was great. Loudon, do you have a website? You must. I do. It's called LW3.com. Three, like I, 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 like... Jeez, uh, I th no, I think it's the Arabic... The, okay, the, the like LW3, numeral yeah, 3. Yeah. All right, well, this has just been an absolutely amazing experience. You're listening to us on WPPB 88.3. We're coming to you from L&W Market in Bridgehampton with my co-host Joe Shaw from the Press News Group. I'm Bridget Leroy from The Independent. And our guest has been Loudon Wainwright from everywhere. And we'll be back next week. Be well, stay well. <laughs>